Hello and welcome to On Sacred Land, conversations about indigenous artistic responses to environmental destruction. For this episode, my guest is Richard Bine. Richard is working toward a Bachelor's of Arts from UW-Whitewater, majoring in history and minoring in art. He is vocal and engaged in the American Indian literature class we share, and he recently worked on a paper in which he tied land issues as presented in In the Light of Reverence to Will Wilson's autoimmune response photo exhibit, making him another great source of academic ethos in light of the themes of this podcast. For this episode, we'll be looking at the poem Culture and the Universe by Simon J. Ortiz. According to the Poetry Foundation's biographical webpage, Ortiz is an Acomo Pueblo Indian, born and raised near Albuquerque, New Mexico. He believes in passing down oral tradition, and poetry is the written form of oral tradition, so many tribal story morals are recorded in poetic verse by people like Ortiz to further preserve them. As a kid, Ortiz became absorbed in stories told by the elders of his tribe, so much so that he acquired the nickname The Reporter. He served in the army and later worked in a uranium mine, a process that as he grew to learn more about it, he would protest in the 1960s. Much of Ortiz's literary work explores the idea of humankind's separation from oneself, from the land, and from others. Colonial injustice and spirituality are also recurring themes in his work. He now teaches at Arizona State University, where he continues to write. I'm going to read this poem, and afterwards we'll talk about how it relates to our theme of land reverence and misuse. Culture and the Universe by Simon J. Ortiz Two nights ago in the canyon darkness, only the half-moon and stars, only mere men. Prayer, faith, love, existence. We are measured by vastness beyond ourselves. Dark is light, stone is rising. I don't know if humankind understands culture. The act of being human is not easy knowledge. With painted wooden sticks and feathers, we journey into the canyon toward stone a massive presence in midwinter. We stop. Lean into me, the universe sings in quiet meditation. We are wordless. I am in you. Without knowing why culture needs our knowledge, we are oneself in the canyon, and the stone wall I lean upon spins me wordless and silent to the reach of stars and to the heavens within. It's not humankind after all, nor is it culture that limits us. It is the vastness we do not enter. It is the stars we do not let own us. I love this poem. It's a meditation on that which we do not allow to impact us, on that which we do not allow to possess us, specifically within nature. Ortiz mentions canyons and stars and the moon. He is venturing into the wilderness, answering a call from the universe who wants nothing more than for it and him to be one. We are measured by vastness beyond ourselves, he writes. This definition to me seems to refer to the vastness of nature, but also to the vastness of life and culture in general. Whatever mysterious, vast otherness we encounter, we are only as limited as our unwillingness to let it move us. Ortiz describes in this poem an individual who discovers the voice of the universe in his trek into the canyon, and with this visit, with this possession of himself by the vastness, he also discovers, quote, the heavens within. 
Ortiz seems to argue that limitations to such spiritual discoveries are enforced by culture and knowledge. He implies here, too, that humankind has lost touch with environmental spirituality. I think not only is he exposing our unwillingness to appreciate and immerse ourselves in nature, but he's also making reference to an otherworldliness within our reach, if we know where to look and how to hold on. In my conversation with Richard, we talked about these spiritual land themes and how they may be expressed in Ortiz's poem. One thing I've been thinking about before I spoke, uh, am speaking with you today is uh, I'm thinking about those themes of uh, destruction of the land and then spirituality as well. And one thing I've noticed, and I can put this pretty simply, is that uh, in uh, Native American Indian culture, uh, destruction of the land is also destruction of spirituality. And uh, in white colonial American European uh, culture, uh, we look at destruction of the land as simply an ecological destruction. Uh, we're, we're messing with, uh, with the earth and the environment, but we don't have that uh, concept of destruction of spirituality. I don't know. I think culture develops o- over uh, time. Uh, I, I sort of like that uh, piece in Power where uh, she's looking at the mastodon bones, and there's this concept of, one thing is built on the next, and culture is very much like that. It develops, it's carried on, it's passed on. One generation has a set of uh, uh, frames of reference, but the next generation increases that, and so that's sort of what culture is. Yeah, the, the culture is, uh, is limiting because we, uh, we have these quests that we go through on our journey through life uh, to establish an identity, uh, to uh, know the world around us, and all of those things uh, are embodied in culture. Uh, our culture gives us our sense of, of what things are. Uh, our cosmology is based in our culture. And so one culture, uh, even 500 miles away, may have a totally different uh, view of the world because they've passed on different cultural traditions. So I'm, I'm thinking he's saying that uh, we're, uh, we're all limited by our, the frame of reference uh, that we have uh, that establishes our identity in relation to the land, the, uh, uh, the animals, maybe, the, uh, uh, everything else. Uh, I'm thinking the uh, Anglo-American connection to the land is all based on uh, how can we use it and exploit it. How can we take uh, its resources? Uh, how can we uh, develop it for 
agriculture that we can use for commercial purposes. Uh, you know, and even the animals, uh, the way uh, Western culture treats animals. Uh, were, they were exploiting animals that Native Americans didn't have any idea existed until they brought them here. And so they brought that comp, that concept of uh, here are animals that you have a spiritual connection to. Our animals, we just simply exploit, just like we're exploiting the land and just like we're exploiting you because uh, the, the first contact uh, was uh, enslaving Indians. Uh, that was that was even in the east, uh, the uh, eastern contacts in New England, uh, they were enslaving uh, a lot of Indians, and they would transport them to the Caribbean. Uh, that's they were they were using them as uh, it was commerce. They were uh, enslaving these people and importing them into. Uh, or exporting them into uh, the Caribbean after the Indian Wars in New England in the 1680s. Uh, they were depopulating the, the, the land by getting rid of their Native Americans. So, but, yeah, exploitation uh, is our concept of land, animals, almost everything. Uh, how can we use that? Yeah. Uh, instead of just being having it be there and being uh, part of our spirituality. So. Um, he seems to kind of almost reference humankind's unwillingness to, quote, step into the vastness or enter the vastness as a fault. Um, and I wondered if you saw that same thing as like if he's calling out humankind who doesn't let the vastness own them, and if that has to do with why certain Western cultures find it so hard to understand Native American spirituality. I really never thought of it that way, but now that I'm reading this, of course, of course, toward the end, yeah, that's that's really the, the message there, uh, as well as everything I thought it was. So, I mean, it's, it's a, maybe even a better interpretation than what I had. So, yes, I would totally agree with that. The heavens, stars, the earth, and all of that in connection is uh, a spirituality that, that maybe uh, white society contemporary society doesn't understand uh, all of those things have contained embody a sense of awe of all of those things being interconnected mm-hmm he also I, you know I, yeah go ahead um I was just gonna say it's interesting how he says the heavens within because we always think of heavens as being something that's totally without. Right, I, I noticed that too, and I was trying to figure out. Uh, yeah, I think we're we're looking at the the mysteries of the stars, but then there there are 
mysteries within as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's it. I'm, I'm just throwing that against the wall. <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely has to do with something that's within us and within humankind, um, or at least some sort of potential or mystery that is within us, and that has to do with the spirituality he's talking about with the land and with the earth and the vastness and everything like that. Yeah, I you know, I think... I think a lot of uh, the literature and whatever that we've been, been looking at is uh, Indians, Native Americans trying to bridge that gap between their uh, original spirituality and what they've been forced into now, which is this, you know, we're, they're looking at things from a modern perspective, uh, but they've been forced into that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think their their culture, their spiritual beliefs in pristine state uh, was a state of awe of, of all of those things, and they really felt at one with, with everything and totally in tune with everything. But as other factors moved in, and the colonial, uh, the invaders, whatever, moved in, we forced them to start to look at the world in a much, much different way. You know, I, I think they're trying to bridge for themselves that gap of, well, you know, we'll never have back what we originally had. Uh, there's no possible way we can probably even know what what that mentality was, what that frame of reference was of our ancestors initially, uh, because we just don't know. But as far as that's pretty much what we've been doing, I think, for the semester, we, we've been tying uh, uh, a closeness and oneness to the land with mm -hmm. uh, fighting against its destruction lamenting its destruction uh, and therefore also uh, by extension you're uh, you're losing the culture and the spirituality that goes along with it yeah if, if you look at it from uh, uh, the point of view I think uh, that PowerPoint from what was her name Dr. Piper I think it was mm -hmm. so She's talking about uh, the, the power of silence is, yes, he may be using his silence on, on that issue uh, for us to just extrapolate from what he's saying about the connection of the land to spirituality that we're supposed to look at that destruction. Uh, by his silence, uh, he's implying that uh, that there's destruction. So by he's saying, uh, you know, the spirituality is connected to the land, and therefore if you're destroying the land, which he's not really saying anything about that, but if you're destroying the land, then you must be destroying uh, 
spirituality and culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, maybe it's that silence in there, in these breaks and whatever that he's trying to tell you that there's something else there that he's not exactly saying, but that is there. I like the, uh, the, the thing that, that I think I said at the beginning, which was spirituality and ecology are one and the same for Indians, Native Americans. And our perspective is just, uh, we can't instru- destroy the environment. And it's just strictly uh, ecological. Uh, it's this globalist environmentalist perspective, whereas Indians, Native Americans, have this very focused uh, ecological, spiritual uh, perspective because they actually live on the land that uh, is, is being discussed. With every destructive measure we inflict upon this stolen land, we inch farther away from this spiritual vastness. Though modern culture, development, and knowledge allow for environmental destruction, Simon J. Ortiz, much like Will Wilson and the director of In the Light of Reverence, Christopher McLeod, expresses in his poetry that to ignore the sacredness of land is to ignore the limitless humanity within us. According to these artists, we don't understand what it means to be human because we see the land as something to use rather than something to connect to. With the genocidal colonization of indigenous land and with the many forms of continued ecological degradation brought to fruition by whites came the slow and painful loss of American Indian spirituality, which depends greatly on reverence for the land. As Richard and I discussed in this episode and the one about Will Wilson's photography, and also as Martha talked about in episode two with In the Light of Reverence, Art by Indigenous Peoples that comments on this issue is important because it brings awareness to Native voices and to modern ecological battles being fought daily between tribal communities and the U.S. government, and also with private businesses. People making these decisions about land misuse do not understand the kind of spirituality Ortiz describes in his poem, which is why having these conversations is so important. Hopefully, more and more people will begin to respect Indian land spirituality and see how our misuse of the earth affects tradition, culture, and the universe. This wraps up our discussion for today. You're listening to On Sacred Land, conversations about indigenous artistic responses to environmental destruction. Check out more poetry by Simon J. Ortiz on the Poetry Foundation website. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check out our website as well at www.onsacredlandpodcast.wordpress.com to read episode transcripts and learn more about our project.